All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Today we're starting a new series for the fall that I'm calling Red Letters. And all the studies in this series will be based around truths that Jesus said that were recorded in the Gospels. In many of our Bibles, my own Bible up here, we have red letters in the New Testament to signify where Jesus spoke and where that was recorded by the gospel writers, and there's parts in Acts and other passages in the New Testament where we see the actual words of Jesus. This is one of the reasons why I still love holding the book rather than having technology, because when you get to see those letters, I I loved as a kid seeing the red letters in my Bible, because it meant that Jesus was speaking. And while we know that every word in the Bible is the Word of God, while we know that the Spirit Uh, gave us everything that Jesus is called the Word of God. There's something special about seeing what actually came out of his mouth, what people heard, what people witnessed, what people's uh, lives were changed because of that. And during these studies, we're going to see a wide variety of truths. I've as I went through all the Gospels and looked at every time that Jesus spoke and, and um, asked the Lord to show me phrases and, and things that we were going to pull out and study, I was so impressed by the variety of things that talk, uh, Jesus talked about, from, from faith to prayer to what it means to be a disciple to forgiveness to his return. So many spiritual principles are here um, that will encourage us, that will apply directly to what we believe and how we're supposed to live. And really, with all that's, that's going on in the world this morning, um, this, this refugee crisis, I don't know if you've been following that on the news, that, that is far worse than we could possibly imagine. Um, I, I don't think the, the networks are covering it very well, but a flood of tens of thousands of people flooding into Western Europe, and um, many of them Muslim, and we don't know if there's an intent there with that, or whether they're just escaping, and and the election that's going on, that that literally this election, this next election, will literally change our country. It will change our society. No matter who wins, uh, Supreme Court justices will be chosen by the next president. Uh, laws will be passed. So this next election is is very key for the future of our nation. And then uh, so many strange things that are going on. There's predictions uh, in the next. Uh, 10 to 12 days of a, of a economic collapse. Uh, there's the potential that the markets could crash, that the dollar could be devalued. We don't really know what's going on, but a lot of strange things are going on in the world. And, and as we look at that, on top of all the other things that we've talked about in the past, I, I can't think of a better time or a time where we need to hear the words of Jesus more, where we need to hear exactly what Jesus is saying to his people and to people even that don't love him. And as believers, we really should have a greater determination than ever to study the Word, to live by the Word of God, because the Bible isn't just being devalued, it's being criticized and rejected and eliminated from our culture. That's why I'm excited when I look in the bulletin and I see Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, because we need time in the Word, not only as a group, but we need time in the Word every day uh, as ourselves, because if the church of God is not raised up, it's going to be torn down. That's not a threat, and it's not hyperbole. It's a reality. And over the next six months, we're really going to emphasize prayer. We're going to emphasize discipleship. We're going to emphasize outreach, and we're going to emphasize fellowship so we can become stronger 
to advance the cause of Christ. Next week, I'll, I'll give you a document that talks about some of the things that as leadership we've said, these are priorities for us as a church. These are things that we need to, to value even more greatly, and here's how we're going to do it because we need to continue to advance the cause of Christ as believers and as a church. So what Jesus teaches us this morning, this, these three verses that we're going to look at out of Matthew 19, as we look at them after we've established all the things that we need to know, they seem like kind of the exact opposite of what we'd expect to, to need to do. It doesn't seem like becoming like a child would be the answer to all the issues in the world. But there is a profound and very important spiritual truth uh, that's here in Matthew chapter 19. And it fits well with our focus this morning on our children. So um, what we need to say at the outset, and I want to encourage you to take some notes this morning. There's a, a lot we can write down today that the Spirit will impress upon our hearts. But, but what we need to understand at the outset is that to become spiritually strong, we need to become like children. To become spiritually strong, we need to become like children. In fact, the title for this message is Learning from Our Children. Because while that may seem odd, uh, we don't really expect to learn from our kids. That's how, that's how it's supposed to work. We're supposed to teach them. We're supposed to educate them and instruct them and guide them and, and show them the right path. But it's amazing how much wisdom they have. And it's amazing how much we can learn from them and be taught by them if we will stop to listen more intently. Too often, well, maybe you don't do it. I know I do it, and I'm sorry to my kids that I do it. Too often we say, listen, I know better. I'm the adult here, okay? I've got experience. My kids are probably like, yeah, I've heard him say that many times. You know, kind of dismissive, like, you know, I got this. I've lived longer. You don't have enough perspective. You're young. You think you know everything at your age. But listen, I'm, I'm old and wise. I got the gray hair to prove it, and, and, and I know better. And that may be true. We may have better perspective. We have lived longer. But, but a lot of times our kids have a perspective that's more pure. And it is a perspective that in some ways is more wise than our perspective because it's not influenced by bias and it's not influenced by past hurts or by experiences that we've had that have shaped us and caused us to think or act or feel in a certain way. Kids are very teachable. Kids are open to, to what they understand, which is why it's so important that the work of children's ministry and your work of our youth ministry, uh, it's so important that we train them in the way that they should go because they're being barraged with so many different influences. And they're an open book. I've often said you can, you can mess up a child from day one. You could teach them all the wrong things. Now, we wouldn't. We know better, but you could because they're only knowing what they're learning. So... What goes into their mind, they're, they're many times more teachable. That's why we keep talking about the opportunities to serve in children's ministry. I meant it when I said the people that were all on the front of this room have a chance to influence these kids that just stood here in many, many ways. D.L. Moody once said near the end of his life, he said, if I could relive my life, I would devote my entire ministry to reaching children for God. And that's an amazing statement because D.L. Moody literally led tens of thousands of people to Christ. 
He ministered to adults. He preached. He was a, an incredible speaker, even though he was completely insecure. He, he wrote. D.L. Moody had a profound influence, and still does through Moody Bible Institute and Moody Church, has a profound influence on the lives of many people. But he said, you know what? If I had to do it all again, I'd work with the kids. Because their hearts are ready. That's why this passage right here this morning, Matthew 19, verses 13 to 15, is so important for us to study because it not only reminds us of the value of teaching our kids about Christ and training them in the way that they should go, but, but it also reminds us that this is the mindset that we, as adults, need to have spiritually in our lives. This is one of the few passages where we see Jesus interacting with kids. And it's especially uh, instructive after the disciples try to shoo them away because they're annoyed and the kids are loud and rowdy and, and they're kind of pushing their way in and trying to steal Jesus' attention. And, and the disciples kind of look at them as a nuisance and say, you guys aren't worthy to be coming up here to, to go away. You know, come on, parents, get the kids out of here like we do sometimes. And Jesus says, no, wait a second. You need to, you need to allow them to come to me and you need to learn from it because what they what what characterizes these kids you need to learn spiritually. So this morning I want to just very briefly highlight four or five simple characteristics about kids that, that need to apply to us. Let's read the verses and then we'll dive right into it. And again, I encourage you to get a pen and paper and write some notes this morning because these are things that we need to remember day after day. Verse 13, then some children were brought to him so that he may lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And laying his hands on them, he departed from there. Now, I asked myself as I read that passage, because I've read it many times and never really dissected it. What was it about children that causes Jesus to, to snap at his disciples in a holy way, to rebuke them, to call them down, to say, you guys knock it off. I mean, the word rebuke is not just, hey, guys, you know, calm down a little bit. It's, it's a sharp statement of, of kind of um, discipline. So, guys, knock it off. Hey, let those kids come here. That's, that's the attitude behind the word rebuke without unholiness. So what was it about the kids that caused Jesus to call his disciples down and to say, you guys need to pay attention to, to these kids and to what's going on, and you need to understand that this is very important. About 11 years ago, when, when uh, uh, my two oldest were, were less than five years old, I came up with the idea for a sermon that I never preached, but we were at the mall together, and um, we were at the Disney store, and I saw the way that they were that they were acting, and they had this sense of wonder and joy about little simple toys and and special clothing, and oh, Dad, look at this movie, and this well, let's get this movie, and they were so captivated by everything, and and took the time to to examine it closely that I thought there should be a message called Lessons from the Disney Store. Because there are things that characterize kids when you watch them in that environment that you go, wait a second, there are spiritual principles there. Now they go into Best Buy and say, I'd like this Mac that's $2,100. I'm like, let's go to the Disney store. I'll buy you any stuffed animal in the place. All right, You can have anything you want. DVDs, 
get three of them, okay? I can't do the math. Tastes change, right? But the wonder and excitement and the joy of watching them was, was something that the Lord in the mall in Bloomingdale, Illinois, impressed upon my heart and said, Paul, there are deep spiritual truths here that you need to understand in your own life. So let's tackle a couple of them this morning, and let's come right to the text and get them, okay? First of all, these were little children. They were little children that the Word says were brought to him. They were babies carried by moms. They were, they were little kids that were toddling along. They were, they were tiny young kids, not like the kids we just had up here. These were, these were very young children, and that tells us that they were children that weren't independent or self-sufficient yet. See, Jesus looks at these little children that are, that are running up and grabbing his leg, and the moms are holding them, and the baby's just kind of looking around and doesn't really know what's going on. And he says, this is how you need to become. Jesus is saying that only those who are dependent on him really show a desire to live as his disciples. Now, as we go through these studies, one of the things that will become overwhelmingly obvious is is the constant theme of Jesus' teaching was that faith is the key to salvation and spiritual maturation. And many of the people that were around him pushed away from faith. Pharisees rejected it because they were self-righteous and they had their own law and and they trusted in their spiritual works and were very proud about that and walked around with their chins high uh, trying to be noticed with bells on their clothing so everybody would say, wow, look, there's a really holy person. They had no time for the thought of denying self and taking up your cross and following Christ. So the Pharisees rejected it because of their pride and and their works. The disciples struggled with it because they kept falling back on their own self-sufficiency, which was obviously inadequate, but they couldn't quite get over the hill of realizing that. And many people were receptive to Christ, but even more rejected him because the concept of faith was too hard for them. Uh, Think of the rich young ruler who went away sad because Jesus said, hey, just get rid of everything and follow me. That wasn't about living in poverty. That was about there are too many things that are taking place in priority over you following God. Or you think about uh, the people in Nazareth who rejected Jesus, even though he was their own kid. He was a a child of the town, and he was coming and teaching. But it says he couldn't even do miracles there because the people didn't want to trust. So faith is the constant. And it's interesting, as you look through the Gospels, and I did this week, as you look through the Gospels, there are several times where it says Jesus marveled at a person or Jesus was amazed at a person. And every time Jesus marveled or was amazed at a person, it was because of their faith. I never have seen faith like this in all of Israel. He said that to a Roman centurion. Why won't my own people trust but, but you, a Roman who has no business trusting in me, a Jew, the Son of God, you say, don't even come to my house. Just say the word, and, and, and he'll be healed. It always comes back to faith. Not people with an impressive spiritual resume, not people who are uniquely talented, people who are just dependent on him. Look back at these kids. These are children that were uniquely dependent. They come up raising their arms, asking to be lifted up, 
needing help, needing support, looking for some affection, seeking his attention, God says, I want you to be like that. I want you to lift your arms to me. I want you to come to me seeking help. I want you to be dependent on me because the kingdom of heaven, look at it, belongs to such as these. So the first characteristic is that they're dependent and not self-sufficient. The second characteristic of children is that they're unashamed to show their love. They're unashamed to show their love. What is it about us that, that causes us to be less effusive about speaking and showing our love as we get older? When you first fall in love with your spouse, right, and, and you get married, what is it? It's all, oh, I love you, and I don't want to hang up, and you don't hang up, and I'll, I'm, I, did you hang up? You didn't hang up? Hold on. You didn't hang up, did you? Julie and I spoke for six hours one night on the phone, and we both don't really like talking on the phone, but it was just breathing. You know, you ever do that? Guys, come on. How many did that? I want to actually see a show of hands. Thank you, Adam. You're the only honest person in the room. We just tell each other we love each other, and we put our arms, and we hold hands, and we do all that kind of stuff. And then, and then you get to 15 years and 20 years, and you've got stress, and you've got kids, and you've got everything going on, and different issues that arise in marriage, and things maybe you don't forgive, and, and you kind of hold on to. And it doesn't become as verbal and demonstrative. And even crisis, which should bind us, then tends to push us apart. So we're not holding hands, and we're not saying I love you as much, and we're not doing those things, and that kind of becomes neglected. It happens with our kids, too. When your kids are young, when my kids were two or three, I didn't think twice about going up, tucking them in at night, saying a prayer, kissing them, telling them I love you. Now it's like, get to bed. Come on. Stop doing your homework. Brush your teeth. Get up there. Right? My kids, am I right? Yeah, nod your heads. Yes. Now, I... I I love that my kids still say, I love you every night and every time they get out of the car. That's awesome. But I know they're getting older. And there will be days where that doesn't happen as often. It happens in reverse with your parents. Even if you're close to them and, you're, and you love them deeply, we fail to realize the, the value of those relationships. And it isn't until, uh, you know, they're away from you or a health crisis hits. My dad's been uh, in a kind of a health crisis the last few weeks. And, and you start to think, how many times are we going to see each other again? How many times are we going to talk again? What happens if? And you want to tell them you love them each time you talk. See, the problem is that we grow up. We grow up, and it doesn't become as special. And somehow, we 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 start to become unashamed, we start to become ashamed for some reason that I don't really understand. I've never put my finger on it. We start to become ashamed to to show love, like our kids do. Why is that? I want to fight that. I want to fight that with my wife. I want to fight that with my kids. I want to fight that with my parents. I want to fight that with you. I, I want us to say I love you more often. I want us to show affection to each other more often because we've got to fight that decline of passion. And you know what? We need to do the same thing even more spiritually. I don't ever want to be ashamed to show my love for Christ. 
I don't ever want to, to stop showing that I love him. If you love the Lord this morning, you need to tell others about him and you need to tell others that you love him so they'll be inclined to love him too. And, and as he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. How do we show love for the Lord? Love is proven by words and by actions, especially love for the Lord. And children are such a beautiful example because they show love without shame. These kids, those that could walk, those that could run, they came up and they and they hugged Jesus' legs and they clung to him and, and they allowed him to hold them. And, and, and there was no sense of, of anything like, well, what do people think? Jesus says, I want you to love me that way. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's not, that's not well, Lord, I need to hold back because somebody might be looking. Or I need to hold back because if I say that, somebody might think that, that, that I'm weird. Who cares? Time is short. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Desire to be in his presence. Show him love and look for his hand of blessing on your life. That's the second characteristic. Third characteristic, quickly, children are effusive about their passions. One of the most, um, let me say it this way, one of the most wonderfully annoying things about kids, and a lot of parents are going to nod their heads in a moment, one of the most wonderfully annoying things about kids is that they constantly and incessantly talk about what they're passionate about. They won't stop they keep saying, well, well, Dad, uh, did you see this? Did you see this toy? Did you see this thing that's coming out? Did you, Dad, Dad, look at this, and, and, and I need to have that. I need to see that. I need to experience that. Why? Because kids feel very deeply about things. And when they talk about it, they're excited and enthusiastic and not ashamed to say, I'm passionate about that. Now, as adults, we tend to get kind of tempered in our enthusiasm. It takes a little bit more to get us going because there are things going on in our lives and, and there's a whole list of, of stuff we've got to do this week and places we've got to go and we've got to drive from here to here and we've got to do this at work and got to go out of town for that meeting and whatever. And, and those things kind of stifle our enthusiasm. And we get passionate about things that are temporary. I mean, okay, Packers and Bears are playing today. That's great. And everybody will put on their, their jerseys and cheer at the TV. And, and when Cutler throws his ninth pick, we'll be all excited. I mean, come on, we know that, right? But it's only week one. They'll play again on Thanksgiving. And there will be a Super Bowl champion this year. But you know what? Next year there will be another Super Bowl champion. It's just a game. So we get excited about it, but it's temporary. And we want to be careful not to look too crazy to our friends and, and our family. So we get a little dull and a little jaded. And, and that's not a bad thing about sports or hobbies. But when it happens spiritually, it means that we're more than just distracted or insecure about how we're perceived. What we love, we're passionate about. What we love, we're passionate about. What we're passionate about, we talk about. And we live it through our lifestyle and our words and our priorities. So let me ask a very difficult question that the Lord put on my heart this week. And it, it's, it's directly at us. And we have to be very real and very honest in how we answer this question. Because it's going to seem funny, but it's important. When was the last time you annoyed someone by talking about how much you love the Lord. 
When was the last time somebody was kind of almost irritated, like, will you be quiet about Jesus? Will you be quiet about talking about the Lord? Is that all you ever think about? Is all you ever think about the Word of God? Is all you ever think about prayer? Is all you ever think about loving other people and evangelism? Is is that the only thing on your mind? Oh, that God would allow somebody to say that to us this week. When was the last time you and I annoyed somebody because we were so passionate about the Lord? Or when was the last time we stoked the spiritual flame in somebody that was struggling or somebody that was young in their faith because while they were around us, they were so captivated by our passion for the Lord? I'm not saying be obnoxious. I'm saying be on fire for Christ so that the people around us are so impacted that they just want to praise the Lord and learn about the Lord and love the Lord. People who hate God around us should be convicted and they should be curious because of us. People who don't know the Lord should be intrigued. People who are young in their faith or struggling should be strengthened and encouraged. And those that are more mature than us should be edified and encouraged and strengthened that another person loves the Lord like they do. Who did you and I impact this week? Who are we going to impact in the week to come? Who's, who's closer to Christ because of us? See, even the little things get kids excited. Even the simplest things get kids to smile. If you don't believe that, stop by Target on the way home with your kids and say, we're going to buy a new toy. Or pull into Baskin-Robbins and say, before we go home and get lunch, we're going to get an ice cream cone and see if they go, oh, ice cream can't believe I got to buy a toy. Right? Little things, five bucks. It just, it gets them all excited. My dad traveled as an evangelist for the first about 10 years of my life. And it is absolutely still one of my favorite memories and most meaningful memories because he would get home in the middle of the night. He'd drive in from some church in West Virginia. We lived in Pennsylvania at the time. Or he'd be in Maryland or he'd be in New York. And he'd preach seven or eight days in a row. This is back in the days of week-long crusades and churches. I miss those days. And he'd pull in in the middle of the night. And I remember that, that when I would wake up in the morning, he would almost always leave a pack, like two packs of football cards in the floor. And that first told me he's home safely. And at second told me he thought about me. Probably cost him 50 cents. Back then, cards were a quarter a pack, not four ninety-five for six cards. What's happened to the world? 25 cents, tops football cards, 10 cards and that nasty stick of gum that was just like cardboard. I loved it. I can still smell it. And I wake up in the morning, there would be the packs of cards. It was a little thing, but it was tons. Kids love even the little things, and they're openly passionate. Look back at the text. Jesus says, you need to be like that. Are we openly passionate about praising the Lord and singing? Or are we not in awe of his holiness and faithfulness anymore? Or do we not think he deserves the praise? Or are we so caught up? Please forgive me for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Are we so caught up in what somebody might think about us if we sing off key or we lift our hands to heaven that we don't do it? God is worthy of that. 
Who cares what the person next to us thinks? They're singing off tune too. Are we excited about studying the word every day? Kids are like sponges. You teach them new things, they just eat it up. Are we like that? Are we kind of like, well, I don't know. I put in my 15 minutes and didn't really get anything out of it, so I guess I'll just go to the next thing. Do we approach the word that way? Maybe we need to say, Lord, I need you to restore to me the joy of my salvation. And when I come to your word this week, I need to, even if it's just one thing, I need you to teach me something. Are we zealous about prayer? about going to him and being in his presence and talking to him. We saw the movie War Room last night. How many have seen that? Show me hands. How many have seen that? Not enough of you. Every single person in this room should go to that movie. In fact, I got the idea last night. We should have a movie night for, for the church at the movies. In fact, I got another thought last night that I was very excited about. I think we should start praying about renting out a whole theater one night and handing out invitations to people in this neighborhood and people at work and saying, you got a free movie. Come and join us for this movie. What will it cost us? $1,000? We could raise that tomorrow. The impact of telling people about Christ. Listen, if you can't get excited about prayer after seeing War Room, I don't know what to do for you. Are we passionate about the Lord? Lord, stir us this fall. Stir us as a church. Stir us as believers this fall for you. Stir us. Kids are passionate about what they love. Fourth, quickly, children are willing to get low. Children are willing to get low. Now, they're already low to the ground, especially young kids. And sometimes I look at little kids and I'm like, that's a fully formed human being that's like a foot and a half tall. And they're just like walking around. It's a complete human. Kids are low to the ground, but to pursue something that they really love, they're willing to get lower. They're willing to get right on the floor. I remember well when the Lord gave me the idea for that message 11 or 12 years ago that when we were at the Disney store, they used to have this huge, crazy big pile of stuffed animals. But some of them would be kind of below the shelf underneath. And my kids would get down on their hands and knees to look at, the, look at what was going on in the bottom. Or they'd find a toy down on the shelf where, you know, somebody like me is like, I can't get down that low because if I get down there, I'll never get back up. But, but they, Dad, look at this. Look at this. Look at this toy. And they get down right on their knees. They, they didn't care about it. Jesus said, be like that. Be like that. Now, now, why? Well, the first reason is that kids really don't care what you think about them. They'll get right on their bellies. They'll, they're not nervous about impressing you. They're not, they're not worried about keeping their social standing. They are interested in something, so they're going to humble themselves without even knowing it. And second, kids know that, that you have to get on your knees or get on your face sometimes to get what you need. You have to get lower to get what you need. It's humbling, but it's the only way. Because if you keep standing like an adult and you're too proud to stoop low, you may not experience what you need to experience. That's an important spiritual principle. Not only about prayer and seeking the Lord, but about surrendering ourselves to the Lord. One of my favorite books is uh, The Calvary Road by Roy Hessian. Listen to what he says in chapter 1. The first thing we must learn is that our wills must be broken to his will. That's the beginning of revival. It's painful, humiliating, but it's the only way. It's being not I, but Christ. A C is a bent I. 
The Lord Jesus cannot live in us fully and reveal himself through until our proud self within us is broken. That simply means the hard, unyielding self, which justifies itself and wants its own way and stands up for its rights and seeks its own glory, at last bows its head to God's will, admits its wrong, gives up its own way to Jesus, surrenders its rights, and discards its own glory that Lord Jesus might have all and be all. See, God's equation is whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In other words, get low to get raised up like Christ. Look at the last characteristic. Children are full of trust. They're full of trust. Their faith is implicit and questioning. They know that they have a need, that they can be confident that there's someone who loves them that will take care of them. It is the most foundational spiritual principle, but I believe that it's the one that we overthink the most. Faith is simple in its approach. You know and admit that you have a need you can't fulfill, that sin is too much, that there's a curse on your life that you can't overcome. And then you know and accept that the Lord is loving and gracious, and he's more than able to fulfill that need because Christ took our place on the cross. So you trust in him completely. That's the gospel. Then after you do that, we're called to walk by faith, which means that you trust that God will keep his word, that he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, he'll never break his promise, he will always be faithful, and you can put your complete confidence in him. Now, why do we rationalize that away? Why do we look at our circumstances and say, I don't know what to do because that circumstance is overwhelming? Why do we think that our situation is more powerful than the one who died on the cross for us? Or that God somehow is indifferent or or busy or doesn't care? If God doesn't care, Jesus never would have gone to the cross. God would have just said, you're on your own. Forget it. You, You guys blew it. We can never say God doesn't care. So look at what Jesus says, and we're done. He says, you need faith like a child. Let me close with an illustration of that. When Jacob was about four or five, I'm sorry for all the personal stories this morning, but when Jacob was about four or five, we were at the movie theater, one of those ones that has like, you know, 22 screens. Actually, I think it was 30 screens, Cantera and Warrenville, 30 screens. Jacob was about four. And he had something in his pocket. I don't remember what it was. It was an important piece of paper to him. And, and we got into the theater, and he said, Dad, I lost the paper. I'm like, it's dark in here. I have no idea. I didn't have a cell phone back then with a flashlight. I just, I didn't even have a cell phone, I don't think. It was the old days, like 10 years ago. You know, there were no iPhones 10 years ago. Isn't that amazing? So I'm thinking, all right, there are 30 theaters. We went everywhere. We walked to the popcorn place. We went into the restroom. We walked here. We walked there. We looked at the movie posters. We're in the It's a little tiny piece of paper. So I said, all right, son, you know, he's, he's heartbroken and disappointed, and, and I love a good challenge, and I want to make him happy. So I said, you guys stay here. Let me go look for it. I wandered around for about 15, 20 minutes, finally found it. And I remember going back in, and handing to him, and I saw his joy and his gratitude because his faith was pure. 
His faith was unwavering. He didn't, he didn't think of other options. He didn't say to himself, dad's going to fail. And listen, I'm as flawed a human being as anybody. All I wanted to do was try to please my son. But I'll never forget what he said to Julie. When I found it, he said, let me get it here in my notes. Where is it in my notes? Oh, I, I found it. I've got it. He said to Julie, I was praying. I knew dad would find it because he always finds it. Now, when he said that, the Holy Spirit said to me, that's what I'm teaching you. That's what I'm teaching you spiritually. To have faith that is pure and faith that is confident and faith that was unwavering. If, if Jacob trusted in my love to try to go find that little piece of paper, how much more can I trust in the love of the Lord? How much more perfect and faithful is God to do abundantly above all that we can ask or think? So how great should our trust be in him? If my little boy trusted in me to find a little piece of paper that I don't even remember what it was, and he was confident, oh, I was praying, dad was going to find that, then how much more can I trust the Lord? Because God is so infinitely more sufficient than I am. That day I learned from him. And I thanked the Lord for his goodness. And I asked him, Lord, give me that kind of faith every day. Give me that kind of faith. Why? Look at the text one more time and we're done. Because the kingdom of heaven belongs to people that have faith like that. Dependent. Unashamed to show love, effusive in the passion, willing to get low, full of faith. Does that describe you? Does it describe me this morning? And if not, why not? What's holding us back? If we really love the Lord, if we're really grateful to the Lord, then why would we be hesitant? Or why would we hold back? Or why would we be nervous about letting people know that? Jesus says, act like kids. Those kids came up this morning. They didn't have to be asked twice. Kids come up, came right up. They're smiling. They're happy. They're behaving. We're going to pray. They bowed their heads. Simple. Why do we make it so tough? It's time for us to show the Lord that we love him. Time for us to start acting like kids. Let's close our eyes. You guys have listened so well, and I don't want to take too much time here, but I just, I feel led that, that we need to just take a moment before the Lord right now. Maybe one or more of those things kind of impacted you, and you said, oh, man, I'm that one, that one's for me. How's the Lord spoken to you this morning? Is he asking you to be dependent, to be like a little child that just raises their arms and says, Lord, help me. Help me. I need, I need your help. I need your comfort. I need your strength. Or maybe God is calling you to be a person that shows more love. Maybe you're, you're hesitant or you're shy or insecure, whatever it is. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to overlook that. But Christ went to the cross for us. 
He bled and died for us in our place. I think it's time we show him more love. I think it's time we get past our insecurities and we say, Lord, I love you, and I want to tell people about that. Are you passionate about him? Are you ready to take on this week, not just I want to get through my list of priorities, but are you ready to take on this week by calling on his name and by getting into his word and by spending time with the body? Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to praise him as you drive tomorrow? Or is it going to be another week of dullness? Will you get low? Will you trust him?